On this episode of the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, we delve into the development methodology known as Village Savings and Loans. Ryan Hayes and I talk through the general definition of VSL, as well as the practical implementation of the methodology in Malawi. There is a lot to learn in this episode about this empowering and transformative development model. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to the Fellowship. Today's episode, we're going to kind of focus in on something specific that you guys are doing there with NAMI Congo Mission that is truly amazing um, and exciting and something that we're hoping we'll see implemented in a number of different CMF locations and hopefully some new uh, ministry fields uh, that are opening up. And that is, we're going to talk about village savings and loans. Um, that is something that you guys mm-hmm. have started uh, around with the NAMI Congo Mission there in Zomba. Uh, Malawi. Am I saying it correctly? Is it Zomba? Is that how you say it? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. And man, I'd, I'd love to talk first big, like what in the world is village savings and loans? Um, kind of the concept, where you first learned about it. And then I want to bring it in to then talk about your ministry with NAMI Congo and how you guys implemented it. Uh, what, it what it looks like the day-to-day, week-to-week uh, with the ministry. So let's start big. What is v- VSL? What is Village Savings and Loan? Yeah, that, that's really a great question because um, the bulk of how we practice and understand uh, VSL today um, comes from a founding uh, practitioner by the name of Hugh Allen. Um, he's an excellent human being and uh, practitioner, development practitioner. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting him on a number of occasions and um, how VSL as a methodology was born um, was basically out of some of the difficulties that people saw and found and came across uh, through working with microfinance. Now, there's a lot of positives about the basic microfinance as an institutionalized um, developmental strategy, but there's also for, for anybody who's practiced it or been within a MFI um, organization or group, um, I think we all know, and I can just state, I have, uh, I've worked within an MFI on several occasions, and there are several difficulties that are, that are most usually faced. Um, so the strategy, the methodology shift that came um, was through recognizing that there are several aspects or components of the financial empowerment model that if shifted um, could actually provide several more benefits where there typically had been some frustrations or difficulties. So I can just say it like that because, I, again, I have a lot of colleagues and a lot of friends. And, of course, we know uh, other good missionaries who we yeah. fully appreciate and appreciate what they're doing who utilize a microfinance institutionalized model. And that's completely fine. And I, and I saw – I'll just say from my own history – I saw a lot of benefit within it, you know, working, working at Grameen Bank with uh, Dr. Muhammad Yunus. And um, I mean, that's, you know, one of the biggest MFIs there, there is. Um, and then, of course, working with the MFI there in Nairobi as well uh, at Mohi. And there was a lot of positives that we saw. And there was a lot that I learned um, through that time. Um, but it was also at that time that you also get to know, um, you, you get to really see how things work. 
and uh, yeah. you also get to kind of see where there is growth in people's mindsets and in in the so-called uh, financial empowerment idea, um, where mm -hmm. there is actually you can say empowerment, and by that we mean a shift in mindset that leads towards um, towards a a growth and understanding, a growth and awareness, and a growth mm -hmm. in the ca uh, capabilities or capacities of the person or group or uh, community to be able to function without an outside source for either capital or an outside source for assistance. And we just say it like that because that's generally what we think about when we think about um, empowerment, or at least in this, in this uh, mindset. So basically what happened was, as we all know, um, much of Sub-Saharan Africa um, has the difficulty of, or I say positive and difficulty of not having the greatest infrastructure for those who live outside of the cities. So generally mm -hmm. what happens, and I'll say specifically for Malawi, but this was also true in Kenya, um, the infrastructure outside of the cities did not allow for there to be formal financial structures um, you know, in small villages and towns and whatever. So for people, of course, who are still doing business out there and doing farms and everything else, um, you have a lack of ability to be able to utilize the benefits that come from foreign, formal uh, financial banking system, right? So mm -hmm. checking account, savings account, even being able to access quality uh, or loans at, at halfway decent prices or interest rates. Um, you know, none of that is available, right? So the question, we, we all know what people do, but it's always the question. And part of our survey was, what do you do with your money? Like, how do you keep it and what? And of course, one of the questions, I mean, one of the answers is always, um, we have a really hard time keeping our money, don't we? Because it just goes left and right because we don't have anywhere to keep it out of your reach and out of your uncle's reach and out of your cousin's reach. <laughs> and you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so so uh, what, one of the things the methodology did just in a general and a big frame uh, in a big framework is it said, what if we took the idea of, of the, of the microfinance institution of the bank per se, and what if we took it to where the people were, um, you know, whether in a village or way out in the rural, wherever they are. And what if we removed the, um, of course, there's a term for this, but I'll, I'll save all that. But what if we removed the so-called outside person who was to come in and try to, to lend or to give capital to or to assist this community um, mm -hmm. with something? What if we were to remove that person completely? What if we were just to provide training and to provide a, a, a methodological structure, for lack of better words, for transparency and for everything, yeah. um, to allow this group of people to be able to be their own bank um, with enough transparency and with enough guidelines um, to where um, it enabled them to, to utilize the capital that they already have. So, it's, of course, it's also an asset-based um, community development strategy because it's, it's utilizing the assets that people already have. And in doing so, I won't, I won't jump to just some of the, the benefits, but just to say, in doing so, that removed, just to be honest, um, everywhere that I went um, working with an MFI, the primary question that is always faced uh, from the, the, uh, the group members um, is why do you charge us interest and why is the interest so high? I mean, that is <laughs> always the first question or two, yeah. you know, it and because uh, it's always seen as, and we can, yeah, that's it. That's it. Like you should be able to give me interest-free loans because look at you guys, you have so much money, you have this big building, whatever, you know what I mean? So that's always the first question. And now we can all say, yeah, you can, you can give an understanding of that and help them understand that that's just not how it is, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all fine. 
Well, so one of the things that happens that's so interesting, though, is that if you if you do remove that, and now now of course the negative the the difficulty that comes is maybe their access to a large amount of capital at the very beginning also is removed for the time being. But I want to show that that's not really true over over the long term. But if you remove that outside source for so-called capital and and the basically the the one who is providing that capital. Um, then you also remove that problem and you, you remove the problem of um, we have to be reliant on someone or something outside of us to give us what we need. And it shifts it back towards we have what we need. We just need to learn how to be able to work together in a, in a transparent and clear and methodological way that, that enables us to be able to save and lend um, to one another within the group, et cetera. So that's in a, you know, just in a big kind of like big picture point of view, that was one of the main things that that wanted to be addressed. And now we could we could go on and talk on a long time about what does the research actually show about how this affects financial empowerment. And there has been a lot of research that has been done on this. And even our own, we've done a lot of of action-based research mm-hmm. on this as well. Or I'll speak for myself. I have yeah. during this, the the duration of our program. Because I have the exact same question that I think everybody listening has. Um, that's great, Ryan, that the model shifted. But what can you show me about how this actually affects somebody's ability to, to feel empowered, right? It's the mm-hmm. subjectivity of empowerment. And so how does this shift it? And uh, yeah, this is exactly what we research and exactly what I try to, to get a feel for, um, you know, what all in the methodology actually makes a shift in people's lives. Because um, that's ultimately what we're going for. We're going for a shift in people's mindset in their life, mm-hmm. right? So I said a lot right there. So maybe you can help me hone in on what is helpful. Well, yeah, that's great. No, it's tons of amazing information to take in and to to process. Um I think a couple of things I'd love to do to do real quick is to help decipher between microfinance and VSL. You, you know, you said MFI VSL. You're saying mm-hmm. oftentimes MFI is an outside person bringing outside resources in to then try to jumpstart something. VSL mm-hmm. is looking at the assets that are there in that community or among those people and asking what can you guys do with the assets you have at place? Is that right? Am I getting a good handle on that piece? Yeah. Yeah, you are. You're right. That's the primary, primary difference right there. And if I could further differentiate, because I know several of my colleagues here who are probably listening to this, um, who live in Kenya and or Ethiopia or anywhere else where you have some of these basic savings groups uh, models, um, you would probably want to say, well, Ryan, isn't this just the same? as an OSCA, a ROSCA, a rotating, you know, funds account, a saving, a basic savings group, you know, there's all these different models of um, that, that have kind of done away with, or rather tried to distance themselves from requiring, you know, an outside agent coming in and bringing funds. And yeah, there are like people have, have, have recognized that this is, this is a, um, you know, a not, not necessarily sustainable and not accessible in many different places mm. kind of model, the, the institutionalized MFI uh, model. And mm-hmm. so just to, just to make the point, though, um, it is quite different from each of those, the VSL model. And, mm-hmm. and I have personally been in an OSCA and a ROSCA and a rotating funds um, in mm-hmm. Kenya and in Bangladesh. I've personally you know, enjoyed and not enjoyed the benefits of being <laughs> in each of those groups. And so what VSL did was basically say, 
And this was the brilliance of Hugh Allen and his other um, you know, compatriots at uh, uh, Village Savings and Loans Associates, their, their whole group. One of the brilliance of what they did was they did a whole lot of research um, with, with individuals, and mostly in sub-Saharan Africa, um, who, who have operated within these types of saving group, groups models and basically said, what are the pros and then what are the cons? And how can we get out, get away from some of those cons? How can we create a structure that utilizes all the strengths and also provides strengths where there was formerly some difficulties of these small saving groups? So what they came up with was this methodology that we call VSL. And of course, there's many morphings of it, but the general methodology is, is in one sense so simple. And like I can explain it in like, you know, two sentences and, you know, my little girls can understand me. But at the same time, the, the manual for understanding how to do it is, you know, 200 pages and it's pretty dense. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of things you have to understand. So there's just, there's just a lot. Um, and, and the reason for that, and if I could just make this clear, the reason for that is because they saw that one of the primary problems was transparency and, and uh, leadership, um, if I can say it that way. So what they did was mm-hmm. they created some really intense parameters around transparency and around the leadership. Um, and, and really intense, I mean, like, there's just a lot of, a lot of rules, a lot of things you have to understand to, to do it well for it to work. And I want to just say that when we were starting this, and this would be for everybody who's, who's thinking about this, um, I took, we t- took six months and did research um, with, with um, I mean, it was action-based research with, with a lot of groups in our area that are in Malawi. And so I went and talked to all the, all the groups. I went and talked to managers. I went and talked to people at every, at every level to really understand what they were doing, how it was working, how was the most helpful model, which is the VSLA model. And then we just shifted it and adapted it according to the culture and according to, and when I say culture, I both mean Malawian culture and also the church, uh, Christian culture, right? Mm-hmm. Because that also plays an effect. Like uh, for those of you who want to do this through churches, um, or if you're thinking of doing it in a Muslim area. So we have both. So we had to think of how can we do this in a way that includes both, but holds to some of the key things that we believe are necessary and helpful for people's growth and empowerment, but that also won't, won't disclude our, our Muslim brothers and sisters because our area is heavily Muslim as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like the model that we came up with, or rather the research shows that the model we came up with um, includes both um, because we have we have we have groups um, we have roughly sixty five percent Christian and the other so called um, you know barely thirty five percent Muslim members in our group. Mm-hmm. So just to say, like we've I think we've managed to bring in both, and that's I feel like that's really important. It's really important if anybody's yeah. thinking about this to do a little bit of research and figure out yeah. um, what is the best way to adapt this model to your current situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know in Ethiopia, particularly with the people group we worked with, the Gumus people, they had what you mentioned a moment ago, their own little savings groups. But what mm-hmm. I often witnessed from the outside, I didn't participate like you in any of them. Mm-hmm. But what I witnessed on the outside oftentimes was that lack of transparency. So it would be a group mm-hmm. of evangelists. But what ended up happening mm-hmm. would be a lot of frustration, dissension anger towards Mm -hmm. each other because one person took the loan 
and did something really dumb and then was not able to pay mm -hmm. back into the group. And so that lack of transparency, mm -hmm. that lack of like ownership uh, as, as a member is yeah. like, hey, I can tap into this, but not thinking about from a leadership standpoint, like I need to lead <laughs> well uh, as a member of yeah. the group. Um, so I, I think those two pieces, like you said, were definitely where I could see and just in my own reflection just now where the breakdown was. Now, thinking about that for you guys and, and in Malawi, when did you make the shift to, to this VSL model? Like, did you meet Hugh Allen while you were serving in Kenya knowing you were going to go to Malawi and said, Hey, before I even set foot for long-term ministry in Malawi, I want to try to implement this model from the get go or, you know, what bring us in on that part. How did, how did you get into it and how did you start it? Yeah, no, th that's a great question. So um, basically what happened was in Kenya, I came across a group who was doing it, who was using this model um, just outside of Nairobi. So I, I was able to talk with them. I learned a bit about what they were doing. Um, and then in so learning, I just immediately started reading all the manuals um, that Hugh Allen had put out. They had put me on to Hugh Allen. So I started reading everything. And that's when we moved to Malawi. And so that's when I already I was already pretty clear in my mind that we were going to start a VSL. That's what people were asking for here, a financial empower empowerment model. And VSL was foremost in my mind. And that's when, yeah, funny enough, um, it was at that time that I took a, a graduate course on village savings and loans methodologies from University of New Hampshire. They were brilliant. They had, they had a lot of these courses going at that time. And um, so I took a course and that's where Hugh Allen uh, took part in it. And then the, the global, of all, of all things, the global VSL um, uh, conference was happening in Zambia. So just a country over from, from us. So we went over there yeah. um, to do a seven day uh, course there. And that's when I met Hugh Allen and um, he was just super helpful. Anybody who wants to learn more, you can just type in Hugh Allen VSL on YouTube and you get a whole slew of things, him talking about it. And he's, he's super helpful. Oh, that's interesting. So now you, you've been in Malawi, it's going on six years, correct? Uh, yeah, it's going on eight years now. Eight years, eight years. Sorry, sorry. So for eight years now, you've been doing VSL. Is that correct? That's mostly correct. Um, the first year we didn't really start. So we started after about a year. Um, we did research. So really, I, I would say a year and a half. The first year and a half was mostly research, training, trying to figure out how to do it. So yeah, I could say the past six years um, is pretty, is about right on to say we've had groups going for the last six years. So with Hugh Allen, and I'm guessing tied to the uh, university system here in the United States, it's not going to be as much of the faith-based piece. It's going to be talking about assets. It's going to be talking about community empowerment, individual empowerment. Um, but you mentioned the church. You mentioned the gospel. And I had heard you speak uh, in another presentation about this concept that what we see mirrored in the gospel is for the individual and for the community, a sense of worth, uh, that there isn't an inability, but that there's an ability. And so I'd love to think about, as you guys were starting this, uh, can you help us know, how did you link this with the NAMI Congo mission, with your church plants, um, and and the gospel as well, um, and helping you guys set up this VSL program, uh, all these different elements? Yeah, man, that's a great question. So um, so one of the groups that um, shifted the way I was thinking about how we could utilize VSL within the church uh, was the Chalmers Center. I think probably most of us are familiar with Chalmers. 
and um, they had started a a type of savings group um, methodology model um, that was very faith based, and they have a whole curriculum and such, and it is super helpful stuff. Um, but we we didn't utilize everything that they had. Um, but what we wanted to do, what one of the things ideas that they had given us was um, to be able to utilize a discovery Bible study at the beginning of each of your group meetings. Um, so that's one of the things we did. So so the way the way I, we've been processing how we've been thinking about DSL for the last six years, and of course there's a lot to be said about this, but uh, allow me just to say just a very brief point, and it's that in tandem with working with somebody to help them to recognize that they are loved, that they are safe in God's love, however you'd like to say that, um, that their identity is one of being God's child, God's love, uh, you know, love son or daughter, however you'd like to say that, um, in tandemize with talking about that or saying that to someone is the mirroring that people experience, one, when they look in their own mirror, but two, what they receive mirrored back from other people. Right. That's how we begin mm-hmm. to begin to experience either ourselves as as loved, as valuable, as worth something or as invaluable or what's the word? Not valuable as worthless. Um, you get what I'm saying. So yeah. the, the, re- the way we set it up was to say, OK, what if we put both of those two together? And with the VSL, what if every single week we hit? I mean, I want to say this in a funny way, but we hit people in the face with the gospel <laughs> to, to let them know, yeah. to let them know and hear the good news every single time that that they are loved, um, that that they do have value, they do have worth. And, and even though we all have in the back of our, or I should say, uh, beneath our, our conscious mind and our subconscious, you know, many beliefs that I'm not good enough. We're not, uh, I don't have anything to offer. There's nothing that I can give for my community. You know, we've, we've had that, many of us have had that repeated back to us um, it's in so many different ways, not just from our parents, but also from friends, from community members, et cetera. So imagine that even more so from the perspective of, of, of a woman who in a culture where men are the, the dominant um, gender, needless to say, and are seen as having the most power, the most to give, and, 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 and go try to tell, and all of us have done it, so I, you know, it's nothing new. Now go try to tell somebody in, that, in their shoes, in that person's shoes, um, that they have a lot to offer, that they're worthwhile, that God loves them. They, mm-hmm. they, may, they may verbally say, okay, yeah, sure, thanks. Um, but but subconsciously speaking, absolutely not. Like my whole mm-hmm. life, that none of that has been mirrored back to me. I don't I don't believe you, you know. And we get that all the time. I mean, that's like even just now, even just this week, we've been we've had that um, back and forth with some of the students who are ladies that we have here. Um, you know that that mirroring of worth back to them. So the brilliance that happens is while they're receiving the the gospel, the good news every single week, every single week in their VSL. They are also learning and watching and seeing themselves almost like almost like watching themselves and watching their capital grow slowly by slowly, mm-hmm. right? Because all of a sudden cool. they have a safe place to save, and all of a sudden they have other group members who are watching them putting money in each each week. And so they see their balance, everybody sees their balance growing. And then not only that, but as the group process, as the group process, as the group uh, yeah. As the process of the group takes place over nine to twelve months, um, they are both saving and also taking loans and watching themselves pay back those loans with interest, and watching other people do the same. And watching, you know, I, I say it all like that because when you come to the very end of the group, 
it's almost like you don't even, you, you can't even foresee what's happening. And I'll be honest, the first time people go through this group or go through this model, it's mm -hmm. as if they have no clue what's coming because it's always a complete surprise to people at the very end. I mean, one, just because you can say compound interest is something that most people don't know about and don't know how it works. You know what I mean? And I didn't yeah. for a long time either. So, you know, most ladies that we work with in the village have zero clue about compound interest. And so the first time you go through this group, the, the surprising thing that happens is that at the end of the group, of course, they receive back all of their savings shares with all of the interest that has come from all of the loans that have been taken and all of the fees that have come in. And across Sub-Saharan Africa, the, the average rate of interest back on your shares is about 35%, which is outstanding. And in That's our group, we're, we're at about 42, 43%. Yeah, average across the groups. And, um, and so these ladies, these ladies, I mean, and men also, but I'm, I'm just going to speak at the moment for, for a lady who has not been able to witness her, her ability to make a change for herself, for her household, for her community. All of a sudden, this lady receives back all of her savings over nine to 12 months, um, with interest. And then, I mean, so as if, as if that isn't enough, um, one of the other components that we added into the group. Um, because again, this is developing the habit of not just saving, this is developing the habit and the, and this is why I say it's an ingrained empowerment habit of thinking about how you can bless not just your household, but the community. So one of the component components of the VSL is that is what we call a community fund. So people are giving into this community fund. You have to contribute every single week. And uh, so over nine months, 12 months, however long the duration of the group they've set, People are, are giving into this community fund and they don't, they don't at, at, on the first run, they don't really know what it's for. We say it's for a particular set of emergencies, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Most of the time they don't tap into it. So you come to the very end and then we do a series of participatory exercises on what is something that is problematic in your community? Where is there a problem? Who has a problem, et cetera, et cetera. And then the group decides and they say, this is our problem in our community. Now we need to do something about it. And the first time through, without fail, every single time, they call us, they call me, and they say, hey, Ryan, our group found a problem. We need your help so we can sort that problem. And it's like, guys, I mean, every single time you get to say it, it's you have a community fund. How much money do you have in there? You guys have been saving for this problem for 12 months, and you haven't even realized it. And then all of a sudden, they say, wow, we have a problem, and we have mm. the solution. And then they sort the problem. And you just see this light bulb go on in everybody's minds that is, oh my goodness, we don't need Ryan. We don't need anybody on the outside. <laughs> like we did all yeah. this all on our own. So you, you, you mentioned the, the aha moment that happens for a lot of people that go through the program for the first time. And then obviously after the first time, you're like, this is so phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to keep being a part of this. I'm sure you get a lot of positive uh, rollover uh, from from members, uh, from your first time members. But you're six years into it. You've seen a lot of successes. Mm. You're seeing it moving in a really positive direction. Let's rewind back to those first couple of months. How in the world did you get people to even believe that they could do this? Like, you know, I, I imagine uh, yeah. some of our, our colleagues in Kenya or Ethiopia, they're, they're thinking, okay, this is cool, Ryan. How, I, there's no way I could get it started. 
because people wouldn't believe me. They wouldn't trust me or they wouldn't even contribute. That whole transparency piece maybe wouldn't be there or there wouldn't be people that would lead into it. So how did you guys get buy-in uh, from folks in those first couple of months, six, six years ago when you were getting this started after you've done all the research, what did that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, we, the very beginning was very difficult. Um, and maybe, maybe some of my other colleague missionaries who are listening to this, um, maybe you're in a spot where the, the church, the way the church is, is very conservative. So I say conservative as in um, our churches here that we work with, they have a hard time even imagining that financial training or that business training um, has anything to do with spiritual life or has anything to do with the church. So the very first bit of resistance that we, we faced with churches and who just flat out said no was them saying um, church, I mean, uh, financial empowerment, business teaching has nothing to do with the church. So you can't do that, you know, as a part of the church, you can't do that with church members, et cetera. If you're going to do this, it's secular. You're going to do it outside of, outside of church, et cetera. So that was the first bit of resistance we faced was people just flat out saying, no, um, we, we, we don't think this is biblical as they say it. And uh, we don't think this is something the church should be a part of. So after that, basically what happened was, um, you know, I would say a solid 50% of the churches that we pitched this to um, as, as not just, we didn't pitch this as a, Hey, we're going to do this, the savings group model. Um, you know, do you want to join us? We, we did a whole um, training around how important um, you know, finances are and, uh, you know, paying attention to stewardship and all those things in kind of a biblical framework, how important all that stuff is. So how important budgeting and all those things are. And then we pitched, what if we were able to do this together? And what if as a, as a church, we were able to grow our finances together? And one of the main things that did get people or church leaders, even though they said it was heretical, was um, this will help people grow their rising. Uh, and they're, they're giving, of course. And then they said, well, of course we're in the group, you know, 50% of the group of the, of the pastors and churches still said, still said no. So I'll be honest, like the last six years has been us working with several churches who at the very beginning said, yeah, sure. We'll be a part. And then, and then slowly by slowly, or so we call it a group cycle. Um, when everybody saw the, the outcome of the, of the group model, everybody wanted in. I mean, just to say it, the demand exploded after the first cycle um, because everybody saw the benefit. So just to go back to your earlier point, it's a really important point that you made that um, a lot of people, and I, I bet for all the communities that we're in, people have experienced something like a savings group, and they probably had a really bad experience in it. I know I did, and basically everybody I know has had a bad experience in it. So everybody was very reluctant to do it primarily because all their experiences of it are so, are so bad. So that's where just a little bit of knowledge on your part and being able to explain how this is different. And again, like this is crucial to, to, to make the point. This is different because of its uh, all of its parameters. It's different than a Roska and an Oscar. And uh, you have to make that very clear to people. Um, but not only if you're working within a, a Christian point of view as well, you can just make it really clear that nobody has experienced a financial empowerment model that also includes biblical teaching and or, I mean, I shouldn't even say teaching, you know, discipleship or devotion, um, like teaching. 
Um, so we, we basically just made this package and I'll just say like, this is just where we are. And it just worked really well to make this kind of robust package of, we are going to spend extra money and take extra time to do, to do it rather than doing a two or three day training, just on the basics of how to do the VSL model. We're going to take extra time to go through kind of a biblical understanding of it, go through stewardship aspects, and then go through some, some more basic um, budgeting um, training. So we just kind of rolled everything into one package so that it was like super beneficial and kind of, and it kind of hit on all the different aspects. Um, and then, but just to be honest, like where, where our traction really came was um, after the first cycle. And I'll just say, um, you know, what, what, what I mean by that, just to give you a picture is, you know, we have, we have groups of 15 to 25 women and, or um, some with men, we have about 87% women in our groups though. So 15 to 25 um, women or in a group. Um, and we're talking like, you know, they save a couple dollars each week. Um, but we're talking by the end of the first cycle, we had several groups sharing out uh, for us here in, in Malawi, Kwacha, 1.52 million Kwacha, which is roughly $1,000, $1,500, $2,000, right? After wow. the first 12 months. Yeah, you you if you're like me, um, which I know we all are. I've been to you know some of the places where my other colleagues are, and y'all have been to places where I am. You walk into a village out in the middle of nowhere, and the first thing that you think, obviously, is there's like zero money here, right? I mean, like there's not even yeah. what five dollars here, maybe three dollars mm -hmm. here, but but you you walk up to some of these groups who are in these villages where there's nothing there, and they have three thousand dollars in their pot. Uh, one of our groups just shared out and they shared out nearly $5,000 and it's 20 women, you know, and it, mm -hmm. it's just outstanding what, what they're able to accomplish when, when parameters and the safety is there for them to accomplish that. So that's when, that's when, sorry to just keep going on this overly long monologue, but that's when several pastors, when we tell them, um, Hey, some of our, some of the groups who are in your community and just one village over that group, do you know how much money they have? They have about 15 times what your church will make this whole year, you know, just in their group. And of course, they won't, they won't even believe us. You know, nobody believes us when we say how much money is in one of these groups. And that's when the, the, church, the preachers, the elders who are so resistant to it finally say, okay, fine, like bring it, let's try it. And then that's when, you know, you go through that first cycle and you say, wow, like this is it's really amazing. Yeah. Thinking again about that first cycle six years ago and then going into the second cycle, and you mentioned all these different churches. How many people did you get buying? You said like 50% of the churches weren't really, they were skeptical, or maybe more like 70% mm -hmm. were skeptical. But in those first groups, how many people were there? Like currently, you said you have anywhere from 12 to 25. But in those first groups, I, I would think because of the skeptics, those groups must have been pretty stinking small. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. In a sense, um, we, we still, we never do, we never do less than 15 people in a group. So if there was a church or an area who only there was like eight or 10 people who wanted to do it, we said, okay, sorry, you just have to hold on until you can get five more people who can join. Um, we tend to just, just because of methodology of uh, 15 people is kind of the minimum. So, but, but to answer your question, I know we're in a unique spot. Um, well, I say that I, I, I bet y'all had a whole group of, you know, churches or a pastor network that you worked with as well. Um, for us oh, yeah. here, we have, we have a large, you, you know, it's like 
2,000 churches that, that have come from NAMI Congo and that are related to NAMI Congo because of the, the preacher teacher training network. Um, so, you know, what we did, and this is just by way of strategy, you know, anybody who's listening to me, you can do it however you want to do it. But by way of strategy, we just do a sensitization session. And what we did was we invited everybody who is, who is within 30 kilometers of us. We did a 30 kilometer radius and we said, okay, every church and pastor and elder who's within, send your representatives. And we want to just explain how, how we think we can go about this. Well, what was interesting was um, a couple of people called their friends from other districts and other areas. So we got a lot more people, of course, naturally, than we thought we were going to have. But what was really interesting, and this really affected us, it's turned out to be a massive positive, but at the beginning it was difficult, was most people from our surrounding area said no. It was the people who were further away from us said yes. Hmm. So that put us immediately in a funny spot because we wanted to go where the demand was, um, but yeah. that meant going further away. So a lot, so our, our immediately our transport costs for the trainings um, went up. So I can say it like this as well. This is just a key point to say, um, we, you know, we put zero dollars whatsoever into the group, into the group pot, um, but we do our budget that we use. And, and I can just say point blank, it's between, it started at about $3,000 for the year. And it's, and then, and then the second year, because of demand, it was more like at $5,000 and all it is, is transport to get to trainings. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. It's like you go here and there and you, you just have to train people where they're at. And that's the most helpful way of doing it. So I can say like anybody who's thinking about it, of course, start with the people around you so you don't have to travel so far. But if they say no, then okay, fine. Like you're just gonna have to use some fuel money. And there's a lot of people, like what we found was there was so many people up and down Malawi who wanted this really badly. And there was people, you know, a stone's throw from me who did not want it. They said it was radical, yeah. et cetera. So that was just a funny spot we were in. Yeah. But we ended up just going with the demand. And it's been such a blessing because Basically, what happened was, um, one, the people who were furthest from us and who always felt neglected by us, um, we, they got you know, our massive amount of attention. But more than that, um, it turned out to be the communities that we least expected to, to be able to get into that were the mm. ones who were most willing. So this is where wow. we, thought the we thought the Christian communities were all going to say yes, and like the Muslim communities near to us were all going to say no. It was almost the exact opposite. So that was funny for us, right? Um, so that's where, like, same for you guys, wherever you're at, um, just consider that maybe whatever strategy you choose, maybe something else will happen. And, and you know, that's it, it could be for the best anyway. Yeah, so thinking of, uh, about that further, your, your role, uh, I have a couple of questions with it, but your role as a mission organization with NAMI Congo and, and specifically your role as the development director is in helping do these trainings. Um, and so a lot of ministry funding is just focused on the transport to get you to and from mm -hmm. locations so that you can do it. And I'm guessing resources like booklets, like these booklets that you mentioned uh, for the training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you give that help, but you're not contributing anything to the accounts. Um, yeah. Now, because of the transparency piece, because of the trust and the safety piece for a lot of these groups and the big question around that, I'd love to know, though, for you guys as missionaries, do you keep the money with you because people can trust you? Or do you, is that a part of the empowerment model for these groups is that they select a treasurer who's watching over that 
the pot? Uh, you know, how, how does that work? Is Or is that where they trust the organization so they leave the money with you guys and watch it grow uh, there? Or are they watching it grow there in their home village and somebody's they're just trusting that somebody's got it and not going to get robbed uh, in the process? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question. And sorry, I didn't hit this before. Um, so no, um, we do not touch any of the capital that comes through. And I mean, honestly, we, we our fingers never touch any of the cash that is in the capital. And that's really, really, really important. So what happens is um, the groups... Um, what we, what we help furnish them with also at the very beginning, well, let me, let me say this really clearly. We help get them some of the assets that they need, but they buy them from us. So they, they are the assets of the group. We don't, we don't actually, again, we don't give the group anything except, except maybe I'll say the training, the information, the, the education outside of that, we don't give them any assets, but we do, we do uh, tangibly give them the primary asset, which is a lockbox. So this lockbox is a steel box, and the reason why we do it is because we we fabricate it because it has it's according to specific dimensions and specific parameters. So we fabricate it. We have a welder who does it, and uh, it's a steel box, and it has three locks on it. So two locks on each side, one lock on the front, um, as you can visualize that. And each um, you know one of the parameters around transparency is that. Each um, um, three different group members hold a key and those keys rotate around the group every single week. So cool. no one person, um, because of the way it's set up, no one person knows who has all the keys every week. So that's another parameter around the safety. Um, so, I mean, really, that's just how it works. It, it um, you know, there's all, yeah. Again, there's all sorts of things that are set up to make sure that nobody can steal. Nobody can get everybody together who has the keys because nobody knows who has all three of them. So what they do is, at the group meeting, um, it, you see who all has keys. So another key is when they open the box, before you do anything, um, a key component of this VSL is memorization. So every at the end of each meeting, um, the treasurer and the money counters will announce how much money there is in the total savings, how much money there is in the community savings, and how much money there is in whatever other, if they have a fee, uh, you know, a, a fee collection, et cetera, et cetera. And every member of the group will memorize how much is in, um, how much is in each of those amounts, what the total is, right? And they'll also memorize, and they, mo they memorize a whole slew of things. They also memorize loans outstanding, um, and yeah, total savings. So they memorize four, if not five numbers. So, so whenever, the, whenever the box is opened, everybody in the group needs to be able to say the exact same number, right, uh, of each one of those totals. And then the mm -hmm. counter will proceed to count each one and make sure the exact total is there. So that's just one of the beginning parameters is just to make sure complete transparency, you know, nobody had a chance to take any money. If they did, everybody will know because everybody knew what the total was in each of those, in each of those uh, totals. So one of the things that that enables them to do is to keep the money, well, so here's the funny thing. For the first several months, they're keeping the money in the lockbox, right? Because it's just savings. But as soon as loans start, all that money goes out to individuals. So as soon as, and usually you'll just say it, um, usually all of the money goes out. That's basically what happens because everybody wants a loan or at least most of the people do. And some people want massive ones, some people want small ones. So all the money goes out. So there's no money in the lockbox anymore, right? So this is one of the key components of it is even though the visualization is that you have your box and money goes into the box. In truth, money is with all the individuals at any given point in time. 
And you know, it's only at the very end of the cycle of the group where all the money comes back into the box. And that's where, you know, that's where the visualization is so crucial because you see an empty box and everybody the whole time is thinking, oh my goodness, this is not working. We're not getting anywhere. You know, where is all the money, et cetera. You come to that last group when everybody's paid everything back, all the savings are there and the box is literally overflowing with cash. Right in a place where mm-hmm. we are, where there's small, uh, or I should say, big bills, where um, yeah, you don't have the capacity of having just a single bill for what you need to have it. We have these ridiculous bills. I don't know how it is in in Ethiopia, and uh, yeah. so you have like, you know what I mean. So literally, yeah. because of the size of the cash box, it's overflowing. I can't even keep all the cash there. Um, mm. And so that visualization is so key because people in the community, they come and, you know, the first thing they see is an overflowing cash box and everybody's mm. just like, what happened? Like, how did you guys get this much money? And then, mm. then of course they ask the next question, which is how did somebody not steal this? And of course yeah. that's so crucial because that's where, that's where all the other groups had failed is there's always theft and there's always mm. people, you know, not repaying, et cetera. And so, you know, just those simple keys like that, um, you know, again, after that first share out, people are pretty convinced. Let's touch then on, you you already did, you started this with the parameters for a group. Um, You mentioned the transparency piece and a key component to that is, are these steel lock boxes with the three keys? I think that's a brilliant idea. Uh, And it just feeds, feeds that transparency uh, and, and honesty within the group. What would be some other parameters that make VSL unique um, that are a part of the training uh, that you guys share? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, I touched on this before, but I just want to make it clear um, to anybody who's listening, you know, one of the first things that we do in every single group meeting is the discovery Bible study and prayer for each, for each, any member of the group who, who mm-hmm. wants prayer um, and or for any family member, et cetera. Um, that, that has turned out to be super crucial, not just as you can imagine, you know, reading scripture at the beginning of each group. But one of the things is um, for where we are, women are not generally I want to say aloud, but I want to say more like not generally encouraged to lead a Bible study or to mm-hmm. lead songs or to lead prayer. So in our area, that is a massive component of, of empowerment that, that just kind of happened without us really realizing that that was going to be so massive. So yeah. women, uh, you know, lead the discovery Bible study, you know, we don't even have the preacher. So if the preacher's in the group, um, he doesn't get to lead it, you know? The, so this, this goes to the second component. So I, I want to just make that point. And that's probably similar to where some of us are, you know, women getting to lead is, is really, really crucial here. Um, but the second component is everybody in the group, um, you, and when you enter into a group, you have a number. And in fact, um, the way we say it is, um, you become a number. We don't want to say that in a bad way. And of course we explain that, but everybody knows what we mean when you explain, because we have many chiefs in our groups as well. And of course, and we have many pastors and we have many elders, you know what I mean? So immediately you have all sorts of power hierarchy within a group. And then you have a bunch of women who are used to being kind of at the bottom of that, that power hierarchy. And then the group, you know, the same thing could happen in the group. So one of the parts of the methodology is that everybody becomes a number. 
And so now you're no longer a chief. You're no longer a preacher. You're no longer an elder. You're just number 22 or you're number 17, mm -hmm. whatever. Right. So that's how we say it. Like now, number two, you're going to lead, you're going to lead the, the Bible study today. Number three, you're going to hold one of the keys today, et cetera, et cetera. And it just, and it just um, shifts around the group so that everybody yeah. has a chance to do all those things, but there's, but it takes out that power hierarchy. You know, where we are here in Malawi, in Africa, I'll just say in general, that's extremely important. Okay, so mm -hmm. the, the other thing, um, you know, of course, I've mentioned some of the other components of the savings, the loans, the community fund. Um, this is where I'll just say, like, maybe a strength, and then I'm sure maybe we could say something about some of the challenges that we face mm -hmm. um, so that everything doesn't sound like it's perfect all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, some, one of the strengths that come here is that, again, since, since people in their community come together, one of the things that has incidentally happened here that we didn't really plan was Muslim, uh, Muslim brothers and sisters becoming, getting in the same group as our Church of Christ, fellow Church of Christ people that we work with, right? And um, mm -hmm. so in fact, we have a number of groups whose trainer, I mean, you know, their, their head person um, who helps to make sure that they visit the group and it helps to make sure the group is going in the right direction is a Muslim lady. And, you know, they're overseeing mm -hmm. Church of Christ groups, right? So we have, we have really funny, you know, what would normally be really funny power dynamics and religious dynamics at play. But because of the parameters of the group, it really works quite well. And I'll just be honest to say, like, I know maybe this is not true everywhere, but for us here, um, Christians and Muslims are normally a, in pretty good relationship. Um, but more than that, um, the groups that we have of, of Muslims and Christians in the same group, the amount of the amount of uh, working together that we've seen through this group is just you couldn't even you couldn't even convince them to work together as they have. If you were going to try to go to a community and say, hey, everybody needs to work together. We all have a common cause, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, see, this is where the part of the group that is the habitualized. Um, you know, empowerment of thinking about how, or not even thinking about, becoming aware of how we are all in the same community and my good affects mm -hmm. your good and your good affects my good. You just kind of learn that subconsciously through the group. And I really say it that way because there's never any training on this. There's never any, hey guys, let's work together and whatnot. So what we've seen come from this is we have, and if I can just be honest about this, you, you could not, when I came here uh, seven years ago, and even still, like outside of ESL, you cannot convince a Church of Christ person to do something for a Muslim person in their community. Mm. I mean, you know, yeah. there's this massive gap, and, it, and it's, uh, no, we'll do, we'll do things for our people, our Christian brothers and sisters, but, but for them, no, they have their own people. You, you know what mm. I mean? Well, it's yeah. like through the VSL, that has just been habituated out of people to where now we have, we have Church of Christ groups who have Muslim brothers and sisters in them. And, you know, at the very end, their project at the very end, you know, for many, many a time, it's been, you know, a Muslim widow or a family who something that something's happened to their business and they're Muslim. And the group, which is seen as a Church of Christ group because it's a part of Nami Congo, um, you know, does something to bless that family, to help that family. The amount of the amount of responses we've had from chiefs and communities that have said we have never had a Christian group do anything for a Muslim family, you know, and it's like yeah. I could not I could not walk into a church and convince a church to do that. But in this model, just the way it works, um, you know, we've been able to have that. So you know, that's that's just just to say it. That's been one of the biggest blessings and kind of unexpected things that have come from this 
Um, you know, it's just the working together of people yeah. across boundary identity lines. Yeah. That's cool. Well, and you mentioned earlier uh, in our conversation, the, the concept that the group, when it comes together, when it's, when it's being formed, people get to choose who they serve with or who they save with. I mean, <laughs> I guess they yeah. serve too, because right. they're serving the community, yeah. but they, they choose right. who, who they save with, which is interesting to me. Um, but then you've touched on a couple other things that I want to make sure we, uh, you know, highlight. And that is, for the first three months, they just saved. There's no loans. And then you've mentioned a say, a loan cycle of nine to 12 months. I mean, dude, that seems crazy short to me, uh, especially if everybody's taking mm. out loans. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about the savings part and then the loan part and why in the world do you have those certain time parameters on it? Yeah, no, those are great questions. So a group, and this is one of the key components, I should say, um, let me proceed, let me prelude that with this. Yeah, it's that the group not only chooses their own members who they want to be a mm -hmm. part, but upon the training. So uh, other than, you know, I or my colleague coming to to train the group, um, right there at that time, the group then sets and writes a group constitution. And that is the most important thing mm -hmm. that governs the whole group. So what the constitution does is they basically fill in all the blanks for how they're going to do every single thing and what they're going to do if something goes wrong, what they're going to do if somebody doesn't pay back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they lay everything out. Well, the brilliance of that, and again, this is unlike anything that I've seen, is that that, is, that effectively negates the need of me or my colleague, right? right? Because they basically answered all their own questions and they have it in a constitution. And anytime they have a problem, they don't call me, they go to their constitution. And that's brilliant because, again, it cuts me out. And I, let me just say up front here because I haven't said as clearly, um, I don't have to visit any one of our groups ever for the rest of my life. And they will just wow. keep going just, just as they are, right? Because they just don't that's need amazing. me. And that's what, they've, that's what they've learned. And that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I love that because, because now, you know, and I want to just make this clear as well. Um, you know, I fully understand that there's cultural dynamics that, that affect how this works in all of our given places. Um, but one of the dynamics that I've noticed just across living in different places in sub-Saharan Africa and, and Southern is that people always seem to, to find somebody, either a white person or an organization or a church to go to when there's a problem, right? I think yeah. we've all experienced that. So one of the things that this provides is a safe and effective and very long-term perspective on how to give to somebody, how to really bless somebody in the financial empowerment idea without having to give them any money. So I just want to say that because that, that has been what we've experienced. You know, we no longer have people coming to ask for money to, to build their roofs or for school fees or anything like that. And when we do, we get to say, and it's a pleasure to say, you know, I can't give you that money but I promise you what I can give you here is going to be way better than that. And then we help mm -hmm. them to join one of the groups, you know, and it's, it's cool. such a pleasure to do that because I know like with, with full, you know, with full confidence, I know that that's the best thing I can do for that person is to get them in that group where they learn budgeting and they learn how to save. And then they learn all these dynamics, you know, so it shifts everything away from me trying to figure out how to be charitable or not. You know what I mean? And I, and I feel like just for all my colleague missionaries, like we, we all experience that and we all look for something yeah. to help us be able to shift that conversation in a good way. Okay. So back to the VSL though. So this, this helps them to be able to do it all by themselves. Right. And they don't need mm -hmm. me anymore. Well, the component, like you said, is the reason for the, uh, the duration 
is originally, or I should say most of the time, groups mm -hmm. will find it logical to start at harvest time. So mm -hmm. if you're in a place like we are, there's a singular primary crop harvest every year. Um, some places in Kenya, of course, you get double harvest, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. which so you can start anytime during the year. But for us here, most people like to start at harvest and that's when they have the most money. But then by the time it comes nine months and up to mm -hmm. 12 months when they haven't harvested it again, they have zero, right? Yeah, and, right? and what is so interesting about it though is that everybody always tells us there's no way we can do this because we only have one harvest, but by the time we get to six months, nine months, we'll have nothing to put in the pot. And every single time, that is not true. It's just not true. You know, like, I mean, there, there'll be a couple of people who maybe don't have something on the side or don't have any avenue of putting something in. Um, but, but almost every time, people find ways of just putting in even a dollar, two dollars, um, you know, even during the weeks, the months that they say they don't have anything. Again, it's perspective because as many of us know, even though that's, that's very true, logically speaking, people have less money come right before harvest. The truth is that people still have money. They just, their mm -hmm. perspective is they don't because it comes and goes so fast because they have nowhere to put it. Like even it comes and goes as fast as an hour or a day. And I, I've experienced mm -hmm. this as well. And, you know, you feel like you're broke all the time because money is mm -hmm. just coming and going. And, you, you know, that's how a lot of people live. So providing yeah. them with a place, uh, a, a way to not have to do that. All of a sudden, people recognize, wait, I do get money during those months. It, it just goes so fast that I never really recognized it. Well, now you get to recognize it. So that's, that's part, of the, part of the duration. The other part is just simply that we want short, short spurts of growth. That's really what it is because you want people to see the effectiveness in short spurts. You don't want them okay. to – you don't want to say, hey, do this for three years because people will okay. die out so fast. You know what I mean? So you want them mm -hmm. to see the positive result as quick as they can. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. So it's seeing positive results quicker from your savings yeah. and from your loans and loan collection. Now, right. you, you said the groups will fix their own uh, interest rate, but what is it typically, what's a typical interest rate? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way this is went, the way this has gone, which is hilarious, you know, coming from the previous MFI that I was working at, you know, we had the the rate was set at okay. I don't have to explain the rate, but it was it was around a bank. It was around a bank interest rate. So we'll say mm -hmm. eighteen to twenty two, somewhere there. Mm -hmm. um, so so the, always that was the problem, right? So you come mm -hmm. here, and the first the first cycle, the question is, how about we do zero interest? <laughs> because we all know interest is bad and we all know we don't want to pay it. You know what I mean? So the parameter that we set is a minimum of 3%. Okay. That, that is the only parameter that we set. And then from there, we say, you figure it out. If you want to do 3%, do it. That's the minimum. But you have to do some interest. And again, at the beginning, they're like, no, no, just let us do zero. But by mm -hmm. the time they get through that first one set at 3%, when their growth is like maybe 22, 23%, on um on on return on their savings then they say okay let's try four percent or let's try five percent mm -hmm. right and then it comes back and it's 35 percent growth on their savings several of the members several of the groups say well shoot let's try 15 percent that's where <laughs> that's where we come in and we say there there is a there is a very there's a sweet spot for mm -hmm. the interest and and most people most of them they don't go that far most of them they stay within five to eight, somewhere there. Right. But, but that's where we just, we just kind of help them to see like, 
there there is a way in which yeah sure your growth would be there but it but also kind of there's a negative uh yeah there's a downside sure. to it so it might not be much return on the investment at that point if you are dinging yeah. yourselves uh for that for that much so um when when they're collecting that interest does that happen at the end of the loan cycle or is that every month they're getting that three to five percent in the payment back into the group. That's it. That's it. 100%. As you said, um, every single loan, it's just a one-time uh, interest payment um, because okay. most of the loans are just one month. Um, so okay. some of the loans, I mean, just uh, depending on the parameters of the group, total amount, and they just pay that back with every loan payment. And every time they pay the loan back, that's, that's how the interest grows like that. I feel like we could talk for another two hours about a lot of stuff and you've seen some phenomenal growth. You've seen transformation of lives and communities, but what would you say here as we're coming to the end, we have been some of your major challenges or maybe even just challenges to the VSL, VSL model um, that people that are exploring this idea need to be aware of. Yeah. That's a great question. So the number one thing that I think we've learned in the last six years is that one of the thing, one of the components that we should have had all along, like a, as a supplemental training, either within the VSL or like as a supplement is marriage training. So mm. the number one thing that we've learned is that while this does help the individual who is in the group and who is savings grow in their, in their sense of self and their ability to see that they, they do have the capacity to benefit not only their household, but the community, et cetera. Oftentimes, as you can imagine in a, in a uh, very much, you know, man is at the top um, culture of society, the husband's ability to still cut off the growth and the empowerment, the subjective empowerment of the woman is mm -hmm. still quite strong. Right. And I mean, yeah. this goes both ways, of course, but I'm just going to generally say it that way because that's mm -hmm. generally how it goes. And um, so we, we recognize we recognize this real fast. So we started doing some 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 trainings with the the spouses. Um, so mm -hmm. we would bring them and do like budgeting training with them and everything so they could kind of see what all is going on. Cool. But that didn't really affect the problem like like that helped that helped by way of them being together on budgeting. But it didn't really help the problem. So what we found about a year and a half ago, I'll say, yeah, roughly two, two years, a year and a half ago, we started just doing a straight up marriage training. So mm -hmm. we had everybody coming like a marriage seminar. So we, we had all of the, the, the group members and their spouses come and uh, we just did a straight, um, cool. and I'll, I'll just say like cultural dynamics at play but we did a straight, like everything talk. So we do this training anyway, because we do it by way of uh, HIV and AIDS prevention training. Okay. Um, so we get into, yeah. So we get into sex and we get into that relationship, et cetera, et cetera. So we just did that. Mm -hmm. We basically just said, we're going to stop BSL and stop finances for a second. Let's just talk about all this. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the number one thing that has like helped the, hmm. the subjective empowerment even more so than the financial, right? Because the moment that the husband recognized on a practical level, my spouse is contributing to the household. That's mm -hmm. awesome. But then the moment that they recognize that perhaps the way that they've learned to treat their spouse is not exactly the most helpful, right? Yeah. Um, 
then that that kind of like double component of being able to vis- see their their spouse as a counterpart or as a partner mm-hmm. more so than just as a subservient um, part of the household that, yeah. that made a big shift in, in and how some of these ladies and the reason why I can say I know it made a big shift is because we do a monitoring and evaluation tool that we use um, relates to subjective well-being and it relates to the the member of the group being able to say, you know, at the beginning of group, this is how I'm feeling about things and my ability to work with my husband, my ability to work in the household, my ability to to save, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end of the group, we do a very similar type of survey. Um, well, it's, it's really more like an interview. Mm-hmm. And we learned from the ladies that there there is a big shift from the beginning to the end uh, um, when there was a marriage training. When there wasn't, there still was a shift, mm. but that's just a large component. So I'll just say that for anybody, any of you who have worked in, in many uh, contexts, you probably could have guessed that that yeah. was a big component that we should have done. Um, but funny enough, we didn't think about it until about four years in. So no, we I, were slow. I, th- I think it's huge. And uh, I wouldn't, I probably similar to you guys would have thought, oh yeah, we're just about empowering. We're just getting this going. We're seeing lives transformed. And though it's been great, it's been good. Uh, you probably <laughs> realize, oh crap, there's stuff going forward that we didn't intend. Tension that's going on that yeah. we didn't intend. Yeah, uh, and so I think that's great that you guys that's were right. able to early on uh, curb curb those challenges uh, to continue to see transformation happen on an exponential scale. I, it's phenomenal thinking about. Eighty-seven percent of the members of your VSL groups being women. I think that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you have mm-hmm. about one hundred and thirty groups currently. Is that is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, roughly that's correct. No, so with over two thousand members. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you're seeing tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> coming and going yeah, uh, over in, over the year. We're in the hundred. That's it. We're in the hundred and sixty, hundred and seventy thousand dollar range in total assets at the moment. Man, that's awesome. That is amazing, yeah. amazing, amazing to think about. Especially yeah. again, thinking that you guys didn't inject any funding into this at all, um, and this yeah. being tradition, just working within the traditional networks and empowering people to see in themselves that they're a beloved child of God. Um, and that they have worth, mm. that they have the ability, that they have the assets uh, to bring about uh, mm. life and trans- uh, life transformation. Uh, that's Amen. really cool. Well said. So with all of that going on right now, six years of some really cool growth, looking ahead, what's your vision? What's the vision of NAMI Congo for the Village Savings and Loan program, VSL program? What do you guys want to see it go from here? So that's a great question. So one of the primary things that VSL has helped us to see as as Nami Congo, but also just as myself, as a development practitioner, as a missionary, however you'd like to say, is the the way you start with something has to include um, the ways in which it affects every area of life. And I say that by way of saying you have to have some type of holistic um, model or holistic understanding of how, say, finances affects relationships, how your marriage relationship affects your finances and everything else, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the, our vision now 
is not just to keep growing the the VSL program as, as you know getting more and more members in the group. In fact, in fact, at the moment for this year, it's the opposite. It's mm. it's let's try not to expand ourselves outside of our capacity at the moment. We already almost have, mm-hmm. but basically we're trying to consolidate this year, and we're saying okay. We recognized that there was a hole in our education and a hole in our understanding when we didn't have the marriage training. What other holes are there that we're not seeing that if we were able to bring in, it would be even more robust or even more holistic than it currently is. So the way we're going right now is is bringing in the other primary component of everyone's life here, which is farming. Um, you know, it's business, but it's farming, it's agriculture. That's basically what everybody does. So what we've begun doing is bringing in all of our permaculture trainings and agroforestry trainings mm-hmm. into our VSL so that wow. now everybody is getting, yeah, so that now everybody's getting basically this whole kind of robust way of thinking about about life. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it starts from, you know, in a classic Che kind of way, it starts from how you think about all the relationships in your in your life, et cetera, et cetera. But there are real focus now are our relationships as it relates to spouse, as it relates to other people. So we do a forgiveness training now because mm. it turns out people aren't, don't learn how to forgive people. You know, <laughs> of course they don't. Yeah. So it's I haven't just figured basic, it out yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I, I shouldn't yeah. really say that either, but, <laughs> but for what I have learned in my journey as well, and just to be honest, like the last year or two, I've realized that if I would have just been told some very basics around how to think about forgiving somebody, especially somebody who you're in, in constant contact with, who maybe just rub, really rubs you in the wrong way, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the way to think about that, how to frame being in relationship with somebody who, when it's really difficult. So that's something that I've been growing through in the last few years. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've recognized, rec- and, you know, everybody has the exact same story as it relates to that. So we also recognize that in Malawian culture, um, there's no such thing as forgiveness. Um, you you either backbite, you either revenge, or you just try to push it down and repress and act like it never happened, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's no such thing as learning how to forgive. So that that's a really key, key component that's come in. And then, and then my point was to say the agroforestry and permaculture. Mm-hmm. So the, where that's taken us now is in a really interesting place where every one of our members has become a bit of a, um, I don't want to say evangelist, but a bit of a spokesperson for all these different avenues of the tr- things they've been trained on, right? So now we don't just have people who, who like when the community sees our VSL group, they don't just say those people are good at budgeting and they have a lot of money. They say, man, th- those people's relationships are better than ours. Those people's mm. farms are better than ours. Those people's ability to, to forgive and get past, you know, difficult things are better yeah. than ours. You know, what's going on? So that's just helped us out a ton. And again, I'm not, I don't want to paint this picture like we're doing everything brilliantly and we have no problems, et cetera. But I do just want to say that that that, that model, what we're seeing is the effect and the potential effectiveness of that is just outstanding. Because like I said, those people can stand on their own two feet. They don't need me to prop up their, their, their any bit of seminar or training that they Mm -hmm. do now. So now we have VSL members who are doing their own, their own seminars and their own, their own uh, conferences, right? They don't need us because they have their, they have their own funding. Yeah. 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 So that's where we found like the VSL has been like a perfect platform of kind of getting past that little hump of, we don't have anything to man, we have a lot and there's a lot we can give to the community now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really cool. And so for this year in kind of putting a ceiling to things that's given you the opportunity to then 
shift focus towards the disciple training institute is that is that right is that where the focus yeah. is with all these different types of classes and the focus with everything from permaculture to relationships and faith they all being faith-based within the vsl model too that's where the focus has yeah. gone that's exactly right so any funds that we've been using for training like new groups or following up on old groups we've basically said guys for this year we're going to use these funds that we normally use for that. And we're going to bring you together in clusters. We have everybody in clusters just mm -hmm. because of distance proximity. So we bring together a cluster. We do the marriage training and the forgiveness and the agroforestry, et cetera, usually all in one week, just because it's so far, usually mm -hmm. to get to these people. Um, and then we go do the same thing with the next cluster, et cetera, et cetera. So we're just trying to utilize our funds because um, wow. we have limited funds, just like all of you guys. Yeah. And to yeah. shift how we use them for, for this year. Okay. Yeah. Man, Ryan, I this is just phenomenal stuff and very exciting. And I can see it being a way to bring gospel transformation to lives <laughs> around the world. Um, so it's I, I know it's not something that's just limited to the sub-Saharan context, um, but it's really powerful mm -hmm. to see and hear the ways that it's changed people around Malawi uh, and the ways that God has been working in and through you and your family in the ministry of Nami Congo. Uh, I really appreciate this time, and I imagine that you and I are probably going to need to do another podcast episode uh, with more and more follow-up questions from this time. The Village Savings and Loans model for development is clearly flipping the old model of dependency on its head. I loved hearing from Ryan that the VSL model is providing the opportunity for someone to both hear about their worth and value in light of the gospel and experience that same worth and value through participating in the VSL program. The numbers are astounding, but even more than that, the individual and community transformation occurring around Malawi is inspiring. I hope you were inspired as well, and maybe even challenged to think about ways you could implement this model in your own ministry. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fellowship. Now, get out there and connect with what God is doing in the world around you.